Welcome to Beyond the Messaging Connection. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to pump and dump your next business. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> That's kind of the oxymoron, right? That's the or That's the what I teach you how to avoid how to avoid the pump and dump. I don't know if anybody is an entrepreneur that I admire who does pump and dump, where they create a business, get as much cash out of it, take advantage of people, dump it, and go on to the next business. That is not the way you want to run your business or your life. I can't imagine any seasoned entrepreneur wanting to start a new business over and over again. And yet, you know, I see a a lot of um, newer entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs maybe haven't learned some of these lessons. They, They get to this place where they're not really doing things right. And so the, eventually the business kind of dries up on them and they have to find a new thing to do. And they might've, they, they might've had success even. I've seen this where they had oh, yeah. a flash of success, but it wasn't long lasting. So we're going to talk about why it's usually not long lasting. Yeah. Because really what you want to do at the end of the day is you, I believe that a seasoned entrepreneur wants to create a business, have it be wildly profitable, last a long time, be enjoyable for them and for their customers and for their team members and just leave a legacy. And in order to do that, um, today's episode, which is episode number three, we're going to be talking on how do you see contacts? I say contacts because that includes prospects, leads, uh, customers, um, maybe referral partners, all of that. How do you see them really changes everything. And that's why before, and here we are, we're in chapter three, we still haven't gotten to anything about texting, right? Or messaging, which is kind of what the messaging connection is about because there's these foundational principles. And as I looked at the episode layout, Trent, I got a little nervous because I'm like, well, people are going to want us to get right to the point. You know, let's tell me about how I can do texting better. But if we don't cover these foundational points, you're going to screw it up. And the reason we know that is because after 10 years of working with small businesses and texting, we've seen it all. And Trent, when I, when I ask you this question, what do you think of the contacts in your database? Like when you think about them, what do you think of them? That's a pretty big question. Yeah, and I think a lot of people probably don't know the answer right off the top of their head. But subconsciously, there's a way you think about them. And that's what we're going to dive into. To identify, do you see them as just money? Do you see them as customers, non-customers? You break them into two groups. People who have bought from you and people in your database who are contacts that haven't bought. And how do you how do you really see them? Oh, by the way, before we get going too far, if you haven't already gotten the messaging connection, I want to give you a free copy, uh, the audio copy and the PDF copy. If you want to go buy it on Amazon, that's fine. It's the messaging connection by Ryan J. Chapman. You can look it up. But if you want to get a free copy, just text the word learn to 949-835-5300. And that'll be in the show notes uh, so you can be able to to do that again. But if you haven't already get that book, because in the messaging connection, I say that you really see people either as a human or as money bags. I use the term money bags because it's like you're trying to extract money out of them. So when you think about your list, do you think about revenue per click? Do you think about customers and non-customers? Do you think about the problem that they have and how you can help them solve it? how you see them is really expressed in these questions, right? Um, and it's going to be expressed in how you advertise, what's your offer, how do you market, how do you sell to them? And if you're doing it wrong, let's say you're looking at them as money bags, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you probably haven't considered the impact of that. That's what I would say, Trent. 
Yeah, and then when you see them that way, the problem is that this, the way you perceive or look at your contacts in your database, whether it be customer or non-customer, the way you see them, it directly affects everything you do because you're either trying to extract money from them and just get money or you're trying to provide value and serve them in exchange for money. So there's there's a different, really different way of doing business. If I see you as just a source of money versus I see you as someone that I can help and provide value to and in exchange you'll give me some money, that creates a different dynamic in the relationship. I'm going to sell to you differently, speak to you differently. I'm going to think about how I sell to you. I'm not going to try and trick you. I'm going to think about how can I provide a clear message of the value so that you'll want to do business with me, show you how I benefit your life. That's one of the core things that comes from seeing your customers as people versus money bags. Well, and here's one of the problems that I see is marketing automation in and of itself tends to lead people to seeing contacts as money bags instead of humans. Because there's less one-to-one interaction. Yeah, you're not interacting with them. When you're designing a, a marketing automation, like if I go take 10 small business owners and teach them about marketing automation and say, okay, start designing this out. Uh, nine out of 10 of them will probably start doing it, not thinking at all about the, the human on the other side of that automation. And so they, you know, this is, so this tendency to look at context as money bags instead of humans is expressed in overly complicated auto marketing automation flows because those flows are thinking of the humans, not as humans, but as just, almost like computers that will give them money that will follow their instructions and do the things that they say. And, you know, if they don't, then they'll be beat over the head until they do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And ultimately they'll get there. And so, um, and this is the real problem with marketing automation is it, it lends towards that because you're not seeing a human as you're, you know, designing a, an automation flow. You're, you're just thinking, okay, what do I want this, uh, this contact to do? You know, okay, so they, they fill out my form. And you know, I'll see it expressed maybe like in the language on the landing page, right? Yeah. And the call to action and the offer. There's also like for noobs to marketing, there is a tendency to uh, focus a lot on themselves. So they're talking about how great they are and how people love them and that kind of stuff versus the problem that the prospect has the feelings that the prospect's experiencing, the concerns that keep them up at night. So there'll even be mistakes in their marketing as a result of focusing just on extracting the money. So they'll go well, I think for- The other thing is we also, if you're focusing again, just on extracting money, you tend to gravitate towards people teaching you the latest tips and tricks on how to extract the most money out of every contact. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a business owner. You're a business owner. We're all about making money. That's the, the design, the goal of the business. It's not a charity. But when you go to the point of just focus on extracting, you often lose sight of providing value. So as long as you can, you can do things and increase your sales that also increase the value and provide value. You're not just getting more money, but tricking by tricking people or, you know, applying the newest tips and tricks that you learn. That's okay. If you're doing it for the intent of actually providing more value to people, but when you do it just to make sales and get more money, but then you don't provide the value. That's where, Seeing them as either money bags or as people and human that you can serve is really going to change how you actually fulfill on what you're offering and the things that you're selling. Well, ultimately, the person on the other side of the transaction picks up on the way that you see them Mm -hmm. because it will be expressed in how you interact with them long term. And we've all had people that we've interacted with that have hustled us. And it was a disconcerting experience. They may have gotten the money, but at the end of the day, we will avoid them like the plague. Yeah, certainly won't be referring anybody to them. 
And so that's the other problem of the way you see people is that it starts coloring. Um, if, if you see them wrong, if you see them just as a source of money for you or for your business, then everywhere you go, you go to masterminds instead of learning stuff that will help you do better at creating value. You see here, the thing is, if you look at them as humans and you really try to address their needs, you're way more valuable to the marketplace than if you're just trying to get to their money. Mm-hmm. So when you go to mastermind, instead of learning how to, oh, how, how can we get more cash out of people? You're going to learn, how do I create more value? So your mastermind will be more valuable if you go to what are, what are some other ways that you can identify someone who sees their customers as money bags? Well, they're always starting over. That's like the first time is they're always starting over because they're never creating deep enough value. So the business doesn't last that long. Eventually they, they burn through because that's the thing with the churn and burn. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going down the pump and dump is you're going through all these people and you're just looking for the ones that are going to give you money now. Right. So I'm only looking for the orders now. I'm not looking for the long-term benefit. It's very of transactional. Market. Like I'm going to one transaction. Yes. It's basically the lack of, of relationship, right. Of lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. So, and I've also seen that this becomes a badge of honor for people, which is really strange. Like they're excited that they extracted all this money out of people. You'll, I'll hear it. Bragging. I don't know if everybody will hear it the same way, but if I'm like at a conference or something, I'll hear these people. They're talking about how, oh yeah, I got four hundred thousand dollars out of the room. Mm, yeah, you see them as money bags. You don't see them as humans when you're you're bragging about how much money you got out of the room. And so the language will express itself. So if you ever found yourself saying those kinds of things. Um, then you may ha- you may have fallen into this trap, and it's not like it's a permanent trap. Some people fall into it and they come out of it. But really, let's not, and let's not confuse this. We're all for making four hundred thousand dollars in sales in a day if you're providing the value that comes with that, and you don't just see them as I extracted the money from them. I don't really care if they get value from me and going forward. It's really well, in the fulfillment that's of what be you expressed promise. in how how do you recognize your wins, right? Yeah that's going to be expressed. In it. So uh, if you're in the right attitude of looking at people's humans, you'll express it in a longer time frame than rather than a shorter time frame. Well, here's the other thing that that's really curious to see is that those who really care about creating a long-term business are not the ones that are trying to avoid human inter- interaction at all costs. I yeah. see a lot of business owners talk about how can I do this funnel or this flow without talking to anybody? I don't want to talk to you. I just want to have this on autopilot. I want to make money without doing anything. <laughs> And that is the biggest okay, so, myth out there. Super interesting uh, story about this is um, I've got a daughter. She's wanting to do her own thing. You know, she doesn't want to work for me. She's in high school still. But she said, oh, I saw this idea for a, it's like a t-shirt business. And she's an artist, so she could create her own unique t-shirts and stuff. So I, I, I see this guy's doing this promotion. He did like a, a Facebook Live video with somebody. And so then he tells you how to go get started. So I go to his uh, Facebook page and then he wants to use a messenger bot. So I message into the messenger and uh, Facebook messenger. I say, Hey, I want to buy, I can't find the link anywhere. Where is it? And instead of a human responding, I get a bot response and the bot asks me a question. So I say, okay, I'll maybe I have to go find it this way to human. So I go back and forth with the bot and ultimately the bot sends me to some page um, where it's expired. Like you can't buy the program. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then, so I just message back. I say, Hey, look at, I just, I have money. I want to give it to you so I can buy this program. What do I got to do? 
and no response. Then the bot responds and says, hey, you didn't say anything that I expected. Um, <laughs> click one of the buttons that matches you best. And so I go through the whole process again, nothing. And um, I've received a few broadcasts from the guy occasionally. And every time I respond, no humans. And so he's lost out on sales because he's so determined to block all human interaction. And that's one of my challenges with uh, you know Facebook Messenger bots or intense bots on any media. Well, and those medias can be used better because in some of those bots, you can roll to a live person, but most people see yes. it as, no, I'm using bots only. I don't want to, I don't want to chat with anyone one-on-one. Yeah, well, in my from my experience in, in my work, I, I think that if you're going to do a bot, don't let it go more than like three or four steps and then roll to a human. Really, the bot should be doing um, some Basic quick evaluation. Yeah, see, is this person a match for what we're doing? And then categorizing them in some way so that when a human starts interacting with them, they have a better feel for where that person is. It's kind of the repetitive stuff. That's fine. But it needs to go to a human. You know, there's some other things I see. Why, why do you think these people do that? Though? Why do people try to block any human interaction? Um, there's there's some stories that get told to them, like you got to have autonomy. People mistake autonomy, which means freedom to make your own choices, right? But you can't you can't also hire someone to answer questions. <laughs> well, see, that's the problem. They're told you have to have autonomy and no employees. Oh, yeah, that makes it hard. Huge margins. And as a result, the focus is always on the transaction. I'm guessing that the gurus that they learn these lessons from, if they go back to the source guru, whoever was the original person that actually knew it versus people who are repeating what the original guru said, the original guru was not teaching this concept, right? They were building autonomy through having a team, right? Mm-hmm. They were building, building margins through long-term relationships, not just transactions. Because if you're, like you're saying earlier, if you're looking just at transactions, you're going to miss the point and you're going to miss out on the long-term relationship. Well, most people have heard the concept of lifetime value of a customer, right? If you're doing your business right, the lifetime value of your customer will continue to go up over time. Yeah. Because you're, what you're doing is you're, you're building a relationship. That relationship is extending longer than the business, right? Well, as an example of that, where the end is, we, we created a business together that was a temporary business because it was dictated by the market, right? As in real estate, and there's a, a time when short sales and foreclosures were a big deal, and our solution was around short sales. And so that was a, a temporary business. We knew that going into it. We could have transitioned to a long-term real estate-based training, but we decided instead to focus more on the tools and software side of things that we found were most helpful for other business businesses. And in migrating from education and training to software, we had a lot of people follow us that were customers in other business. And that is because we created a relationship and they trusted us and they want to do whatever we were doing. They want to follow and keep doing that. So it's, it's fascinating. We create business relationships that happens. But there were a lot of people that were doing something similar to what we were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And most of them went bankrupt three years before we ended up shutting down that business because they were all transactional. Yeah. Very few of them were relationship focused because what happened is at a point, you know, three years before we closed down the business, um, nobody else needed training anymore. And the people that were just focused on the transactional training ended up going out of business because they didn't have a long-term relationship with the customers. So th- this is interesting because uh, there's a series of questions that I wrote down in preparation for this episode that I thought w- were helpful for somebody thinking about 
what do you want from your business? Because ultimately, if you know what you want from your business, it will, I believe it will help you see people properly. And seeing people properly is critical to the long-term success of a business. So the first question I have about what you want from your business is how long would you like your business to last? This is a difficult question for many people, Trent, I feel like these days because um, everything's changing so quickly in terms of technology and markets mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. A lot of people aren't thinking uh, 100, 200, 300 years on their business, which is fascinating. I, I had um, dinner once with a couple. Uh, he, he was from uh, Pennsylvania. She was from Taiwan. And uh, they had a, a, a guy that was kind of like a consultant that was living and working in, in China. And he, he was there. We were eating. And this was when we were in California. And we're eating dinner and we're talking about business. And the American consultant says it's very fascinating because in China, they think in terms of millennia when they, when they think about their business. And in the United States, you know, we tend to be like thinking about next year. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we do things that they think are crazy. And I don't, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think that, that as entrepreneurs, we could be thinking a little bit longer term than we currently are. So the question is, how long do you want your business to last? And if you want a business that lasts a long time, that means you're going to have to establish some pretty good relationships with people long term. Now, if you're in a business that's really a short-term business, Trent and I relate because we were in a short-term business when, before we started this one. And we knew it had a self life when we started it. Sure. So like, let's say you're just brand new to entrepreneurship and you're starting like an Amazon company where you're selling stuff on Amazon. Okay, fantastic. You can make a lot of money doing that, but it may not last a long time. So you want to transition towards that goal, but you first have to decide what's the goal. How long would I like my business to last? And you can transition, by the way. Almost every business can transition as long as you understand where you, what you need to, how you need to change the company in order for the last long term. So that's the first question. The next question is, do you want it to be dependent on you to survive? Do you have to be the linchpin in the business? And this is a tough one because if you're the linchpin, that means you can't leave ever. Yeah, you can't sell it. You can't just stop working off for a year. You can't retire if you do. And it ends the business. So that's, that is a good question to ask. It doesn't mean that you have to change it today. But if your goal is to eventually be not the linchpin of the business, then you will work towards that over the next few years. Now, the, the way that a lot of people get to this place is it's not that they're not needed at all in the business. The business can maybe operate and function fine for six months to a year without their involvement. But it needs them for leadership and direction. Yeah. That's an okay place to be uh, in the long term. So, Still a lot of autonomy there. Yeah, and that's a goal to work towards versus something you're going to do immediately. So, yeah. But you have to have to answer that question. Do you want the business to be dependent on you to survive? And for many businesses, this is a really scary part about entrepreneurship, is if you can't work for two weeks or a month, the business may go under because cash flow is that tight, right? And so those are things that can be changed in many businesses but you just have to be willing for the business to adjust or, like I was saying, transition into what it needs to be in order for that to survive. The next question is, do you care about the customer? Because if you don't care about the customer, <laughs> you're going to have problems long term, right? If you just see them as a source of money, chances are they're going to become extremely annoying to you at some point. So you actually have to care about the customer. You know, for us, our customer is the small business owner or the, or the entrepreneur, you know, someone who's um, got a, a business with less than 100 employees, more likely than not, probably doing under 20, 25 million. Um, 
that those are the people that that we focus on. And I'd say the majority of them follow in the category of half a million to a million in revenue with three to 10 employees. So that's really where sure. they're, they're still at that early phase to middle phase of growth. And, you know, we, we have to care about their problems and what they're going through. What are their, their goals? Because when we understand that, care about that, then we see them differently. So you have to think about your business. Do you care about your customers and their problems and their dreams and their goals? And it's really important that you do. Otherwise you will become annoyed with them at some point. And then your life becomes miserable. And so that's why it's really critical that you care about them. And like Trent was saying, you care about their problem or their dream. What is it that they're trying to accomplish that you're going to help them accomplish? And, you know, even if it's just not be hungry, that's a worthy thing because people die if they don't eat, right? So there's no small problem as long as the problem is important to the customer. And so whatever that is, you got to care about them. You got to care about um, their problem, their, their dream, and how you're going to help them. Then the next question is, do you want to be the cheapest option or the highest value option? Um, I know which one I would rather be, and it's not the cheapest option because the cheapest option is just miserable. See, I want to be excited to do the work I do for my customers. Yeah, and if you don't have enough revenue from providing that value, that service, then oftentimes you don't feel the same passion or drive. You have to make a profit. So you want them to say, I'm going to provide the best value, maybe not the lowest price. Well, that doesn't mean you're the most expensive either. Uh, yeah. But highest value is what, what I would want to shoot for. Um, here I am. I'm asking you the questions, but I'm also leading you on every question. <laughs> but the reason why is because then you're gonna, you can keep the focus on the people. You can keep the focus on the human. You can see the person as a human instead of a money bag. If you're like thin margins, you got to make a bunch of sales in order to survive, uh, go to Walmart. Go see how everybody is there. You know, they all look excited to be there. And then, you know, find something that you think is a good value, a high value option, and go there and see if everybody's pleasant to be there. You, you know, you want to be in the high value business. So think about that for your business. And then do you want referrals? Do you want people to be like excited to send you their friends? That, that doesn't come if you're looking at everybody as a money bag. Yeah, I, the only people I refer are people that I say, this person has really added value to my life or to my business. So those are the people I want to share with my friends and family. If you think well, about that, you're the same Karen. way. Uh, I, it's, for me, there's another criteria too, like, do they, are they really enjoying the business they're doing? Because if they're miserable, even if they added value, I'm like, well, I don't want to be Yeah. And so then that could be that they're not, they don't love the customer. They don't love the problem that they're solving. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even if they're really good at it, do they, have they found a way to love it? And you may not love stuff at first. You've got to figure out how to do that. But I think you got to get there. Right. So I'm not saying, okay, you love something now move and find a business over there. You got to find something that actually creates value for people. That's more important than how much you're, you're passionate and love it, but then find a way to love it. Maybe love is a strong word. Maybe you can enjoy it. Yeah, sure. But care about, yeah. care about the problem, care about the customer. Um, maybe it's not your hobby, but I have found that people are the most successful are those that would probably do whatever they're doing as their hobby. I know I would do this Trent, Wouldn't you work on business, small businesses, like as a hobby. Yeah. I enjoy seeing the results. Yeah. We're super annoying at parties because all we do is talk to the people who want to start a business about how to start a business. 
Uh, no sports scores, at least not for me. Huh? I don't even know who plays on what team anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> not to say we don't enjoy a game, but that's not what consumes us. And you'll find that's common amongst people who are most successful. Do you want to enjoy your work? I think that's important that you enjoy your work. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that it's your favorite thing. You'd always do it, whatever, but do you enjoy it? Do you find some sort of fulfillment in doing it? And I think those, if you have those things, right, it's a lot easier to see people as humans instead of money bags. Yeah. I, I think what, when we think about our business, Ryan, one of the things that we were intentional about is we decided who do you want to actually serve and work with? So going on from those questions that Ryan had about what do you want from your business? You also identify who do you want to work with? So what is the category or group of people that you see as your customer who you'd enjoy serving? Now, nothing against real estate agents. I was a real estate agent, real estate broker for 10 years. I just didn't enjoy working in that field because there was a lot of attitudes that we weren't able to adjust. And, and there, there, obviously, there's a percentage of every field that are great. So we, we tended to attract and serve those who had the same attitude as us. But there was also some attitudes in that field which we didn't enjoy. So instead of transitioning that last business, we decided, let's start over with a different customer base. And we focused on um, general small business owners who are using automation and help them make more personalized connections with automation versus being behind this wall and hiding behind automation. We wanted to connect human connection using automation as a tool to leverage that. So that's what we chose. What's interesting is what we ended up doing is we ended up through that choice, filtering out all the real estate agents we didn't want to work with. Because we have real estate agents that use our software today that we end up working with, but they're the right kind. Yeah. And so that's an important part. You got to figure out who are, who are your people because that way you're going to enjoy working with them and you won't mind the human to human interaction. Now today, if we talk about today, Trent and I don't have that much human to human interaction with our customer the same way that our team does. Our, our team spends a bulk of that, that human to human interaction time. And so what's really critical there is still, even though we're not doing that interaction, we need to be thinking always about, them, our, our customers as humans, our prospects as humans, and not as just a source of, of revenue for them. Well, and the way this, this translates is by how we interact with and pass on our beliefs and our culture to our team. So our team yeah. says and does the things that we would say and do. So that's comes, this comes to the next level. If you're not in a place right now where you have employees, or you have a team, that's okay. When you get there, you have to make sure that your team treats your customer exactly how you were treating them as you were the interface one-to-one with customers as you pass on that responsibility of customer support, billing, sales, whatever it is that you're passing on, that human to human interaction continues. And the person they're interacting with is representation of your business and of you, an extension of you. Yeah. And so that transition from you having to be the human to human interaction point to your team being the human to human interaction point uh, requires a lot more training and involvement with your team than you may think. But the, the the beautiful part about that is it frees up your time to be able to focus on things you need to for the longer-term vision of the company. And so what's really critical is that you treat the humans that you work with, which is your team members, the same way that you want them to treat the customers that they're interfacing with. You be fair and honest with them. You got to treat them with respect. You can't barrage them and yell at them and, you know, that those are the and at the same that, time, you're not a pushover either, right? Yeah. You you are a firm but loving parent, so to speak. And that's the way that you got to be interacting with um, everybody, which is you know what, you, what your standards are, what you allow and what you don't allow in, in relationships, and you develop healthy relationships. 
it comes back to though, how do you see your customer, your contacts? Because if you see them correctly, then that foundation of how you view them, like in our business, just give an example. Um, if we make a mistake, we're never going to try and hide that and make the customer feel like they're the ones that made the mistake. And our team knows this. So our team has made some really costly mistakes. Some have cost us thousands of dollars, but they're not let go. We don't fire them because they made a mistake because we're all human. We make mistakes, but we respect when they fess up to the mistake, share it with the team so we can fix it. And we make sure the customer knows, Hey, we're going to do this to replace this cost and fix the mistake we made. And so we're going to go above and beyond to be honest and fair with our employees and with our customers. And because we see our customers as humans that we're serving and we're going to bring value to their lives and their businesses, this creates a very strong relationship with them to where we're not going to have customers leaving us bad mouthing us, talking bad about us. If their business fails or they leave us, they don't use our service anymore. It's not because we offended them or we did something to make them feel like we didn't care. It's because it wasn't either a good fit for them or their business wasn't a good fit for what they were doing. But the, the bottom line here is the way we see our customer and our prospect is passed on to how we treat them and how we treat our, our team. And so our team, our team passes that on as well. Okay. So if you see uh, the person as a human and you really understand their problem, so what is it that's driving them to seek your service, your product, whatever, then what you're going to want to do is in your marketing automation, so this is rubber hits the road kind of application of this concept, we're going to want the marketing automation to do the mundane and and the minor parts, but we want to have them then enhance the human to human interaction points. So for example, if somebody raises their hand and say, hey, I'm interested in your product or service, I want that piece of information that you're promising that will help me make a better decision. Let's say it's a, a video. So we would let the marketing automation deliver the video, and then we'd let the marketing automation ask an open-ended question. We call these conversation starters. We'll be getting into more of this as we go along. But I want to give you a little taste of an example of what we're talking about and seeing people as human. And so we're going to ask an open-ended question. Now, if you paid attention in the last episode, Trent made it a huge breakthrough in identifying that that's the whole point of email, that that's the technology that email brings to the table that everybody misses. And so they don't get the benefit. But if you did it with email, let's say email actually was read and opened and viewed. Okay. And then they saw that open-ended question and they responded to it. That's going to now drive to a human, 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 to human interaction. Yeah. And that's what we're wanting to do. We want to free up any humans that work in the business to focus on the human to human interaction because that's where all the money is. That's where relationships people, created. Right. So the relationship is money. So once you get to that currency, we recognize that human to human interaction and relationship is where all the money is in the business. That's going to help you instead of looking at them as money bags as saying, oh, I need to focus on the human to human interaction because when I do the business profits. When I focus on addressing people's needs, hearing them, understanding them, what they, they're looking for, and then communicating clearly to them how we can meet those needs, that's where all the money comes into the business. So the money comes into the business by doing the right thing. So being, viewing your customers and prospects correctly is that foundation. Trey, I think this is why mobile is such a big deal, is because it's inherently intimate. Yeah, and, that, and that's something that I think, if you don't know, if you haven't read the messaging connection, you don't know some of our businesses, um, we do help businesses use text messaging to create more conversations or to increase conversion of the leads that come into the business or the relationships they're building with their customers. So when we say mobile, we're mostly referring to 
messaging and messaging through text message. And the reason why I realize that this is very intimate because I don't really like to have people text me unless it's something that I'm really, really interested in or someone who I like and trust. And so when people give us the opportunity to request information and provide information for them and they say, yes, you can text it to me, that's something that I hold to be very valuable. That's a very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost sacred, right? Sacred and trusting us that, hey, I'm going to let you into my intimate circle here, my inner circle, because email has been used so much where people don't care about giving out their email address. And they also have fake email addresses they use. So that's, they've already got a way for that. But with text messaging, if they're saying, here's my phone number, and I want you to text me this information on this video link or this, you know, access to this information, they're usually saying, I trust you enough from what I've seen so far that I'm going to let you into my inner circle. And so it's a very intimate form of communication. And because of that, it also does very well in creating conversations because I'm not likely to pick up the phone if you call me. I don't know your number. But if we had some text interaction and they said, hey, I'm going to call you shortly to talk about these things we're chatting about, I'm, I'm going to answer the phone because now I know who you are, what it's about, and I've already let you in. So texting is a really good way for us to kind of take a step into their world without just cold calling where they're not going to answer and then start a conversation that leads to a phone call or if it's not needed, maybe just through that text conversation, you answer a question for them and then they buy our product or service because that's really go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that because that's what most people they have simply just one or two things they want to know or clarify before they make a buying decision. If you have a really good marketing strategy and very, really good presentation online, your product or service, a lot of times people just have one or two simple questions like your example of, hey, where, where's your order form to buy? <laughs> that's yeah. all they want to know. If, you would, if they would have answered provided it, they would have had a sale. And so that's a lot of people. It's a very simple thing. And it doesn't even have to require a phone conversation as much as just a response by text. Well, so you said something really interesting. All, all of that was interesting. But one thing that caught my mind was, or caught my eye, was this idea of it's so intimate that if somebody gives you their number and permission to text them, that almost implies that there is a trust threshold that you have to overcome in order mm-hmm. for this media to actually be useful. Yeah. And, and that, that threshold is much lower for email. And so in some ways you could deduce that, okay, if I had one marketing campaign that was just asking people for their email, another marketing campaign that was asking for the ability to text, interact with them, that the text interact one would inherently have fewer leads generated than the email only. And that's what we've seen to a certain degree in some cases, depending on your call to action and what you're providing a value. And some people side, will interpret that as bad though, right? Yeah. What's the flip side of that, Ryan? Well, the fascinating part is every lead uh, consumes some sort of, of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you, what happens is when you have the threshold really low, you increase the noise and noise is like you think that you have a number of people that are interested, but you really don't. Yeah. Right? Let's say I got 500 leads online this week with email address only. I think so I got 500 I, people interested. Yes. But what it could be is I've got a large gradient in there and the actually of the people who might actually take action, I've got 50 and it's not going to be this big of a difference, but let's say I'm doing the texting site and I get 50 um, I have less noise in there. I actually have a, a better hold or pulse on who is actually interested in my call to action. And we've we've actually done, like I've for one of our businesses generated over 120,000 leads online. And by asking for phone versus just email, um, you're going to see that it's not that big of a drop-off. It's not going to go from 500 to 50. It might go no. from 500 to like 400 or 350. 
But there's two things that happen there. You know that you're weeding out the low quality leads first. And second, our consumption of the, the text messages, the viewing and reading those is much higher than the viewing and reading of emails. So even with lower number of leads, the value per lead is really, really the thing we're looking at here. And the conversion, cost per conversion, how many leads do I generate? What does it cost me to get a conversion? Those are the numbers that are more important than, oh, I got 500 leads. This guy only got 350. Well, that guy got 350 with name, phone number, and email. You got 500 with just an email address. And so there's, we want to open your mind to this as we talk about this in future episodes. Yeah, our next episode is going to go into that in more depth. Yeah. So kind of giving a teaser. But that, that leads me to a question I think is a real rubber hits the road question, which is how do you build relationships that can last beyond industry disruptions? I could have just said, how do you build relationships? But I added that qualifier that lasts beyond industry disruptions because every industry has disruptions that occur, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are governmental. Like, let's look at the mortgage broker where suddenly they had a new license they had to get in order for them yeah, to speak. nationwide. Offering mortgages. That's a pretty big disruptor. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's um, a regulation. Technology. The technology is a disruptor. Um, there could be a, a new player that comes on to the scene that um, maybe offers a super low or changes the pricing model of your industry. There's a lot of things that happen. But how can you build relationships that can last beyond those industry disruptions? How do you build these relationships that will hold on while you get things back in order if that has to happen? And I identified with Trent three things. And so, Trent, you, if you want to take one, and um, I'll take one. Yeah. Well, what it comes down to, we've talked about this whole episode basically, is how do you enhance that human-to-human -human interaction? That when people have an experience with our team, with Ryan or I, that's some currency that we're depositing, or that we're depositing to their attention. So, We've talked about that last episode, attention currency. When I have a human-to-human -human interaction with somebody, I've gained some trust with them. I've provided some value, shared something of value with them, helped them in their business in some way, or our support team has done something to help them set something up. Even okay. outside of what we offer, that human-to-human -human interaction is creating that relationship. I think people overestimate the cost of human-to-human -human interaction and mm -hmm. underestimate the value. Yeah, for right? sure. So, Because I'll hear people say, well... Yeah, but if I asked that open-ended question, I could get a bunch of people answering it. <laughs> I don't want to ask like, questions. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, and so they, they overestimate the cost. They're like, oh, this is going to take a whole lot of time. Um, I'll hear this on people that need to have a customer support for their business, right? They're like, yeah, I'm going to do email-only customer support because if I opened up the phone lines, we would be inundated all the time. Um, not not really. So people tend to overestimate the cost and underestimate the value. Getting on the phone with somebody, you Especially can today. Yeah, you can resolve a problem. Like let's say a customer has a problem. If you force them to go through email, it's probably going to take days to get resolved. If you get on the phone with them, it can take minutes. And if we get a problem resolved for somebody, number one, there's the time savings, minutes versus hours. And this is from the perception of the customer because that's the one that impacts your reputation, right? So if, if you just do that, if you just reduce the time it takes for someone to get a resolution to their problem, even if the resolution isn't what they would want, uh, a human's going to be able to, to deliver that blow a lot softer than an email. If you get it resolved quickly, your reputation in the marketplace is much better than if it drags out because as things drag out, people get less and less patient. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the one part. The and other part is jerked around. If you talk to a person, 
the speed at which information, which is funny because I was sitting at, uh, went and visited my uncle or my uh, brother, uh, Kyle, down in California. We were there for my, for our dad's memorial. And we were talking with one of my nephews and he's like 10 or 11. And he, he brought up this point. Yeah. If you call somebody, it's way faster for communication than if you just text them. And I was like, that's true. Any, any text-based medium is much slower for the transfer of information than, than auditory. And then if you get, you know, visual in there, it's even faster than that because you're picking up on, on nonverbal cues. But the, the rate of information flow, if you just get on the phone with somebody or if you're just interacting with them live versus having delays, it's way better than not. And so the value is significant and it shows that you care. And as the world pushes more and more towards automation, and it is, then the value of a human-to-human interaction goes up, especially yeah. if that is a quality interaction. So that's number one. Um, tra- number I've already covered number two. Is communicate through channels folks prefer for their convenience. So okay, don't block them from calling. Don't block them from texting. Don't block them from website chat. Well, not only don't block them, let them know those are all available too. Yeah. Because frequently people have been trained by bad businesses to expect that they can only do crappy things to communicate with companies. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. The number one thing we hear from our customers is like, wow, you guys are the best support that I've seen for any software ever. Because you guys talk on the phone, you do screen shares, you send videos, you do website chat, you do text message. You let me communicate any way that I need it. And this is amazing. And it's not hard. <laughs> it really isn't hard. But now for software, so different. All of, I think all of those medias are appropriate. For many businesses, they would prefer if you just let them text. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you just let them text. And so that's so key. And so you want to be thinking about how you make that available to them. But let them, you know, your industry might be different. Maybe people prefer the phone. But whatever it is, let them know those channels are available and then let them select those. And that's fine. Some people might even prefer email. I know there's like, we get two or three a month that prefer email over the other medias. Fine. Go ahead and do the last one here, Ryan, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. So the final one is make deposits in attention current, a currency account. We talked about, like Trent said on the earlier episode about this, but you make these minor deposits when you do automated communication, but you make major deposits when you do one-on-one. And we kind of covered that already, but that's the last part. If you do that, you, you will establish relationships. So if you enhance human-to-human communication, communicate through channels folks prefer for their convenience, and then make deposits in the attention currency account, which means make sure that your interactions are valuable to them from their perspective. And this is possible in every business. I've never, I haven't yet to see a business trend where these three things couldn't be applied except for businesses that don't answer those questions we asked earlier on the episode, you know, <laughs> we'll to see his that, money bags may not we'll work. See people's money bags or they have, which usually means the business has low margins. It's not great. So just, I think for my, my closing thoughts, Trent, and if you have closing thoughts, you can go with it. But my closing thoughts are, if you see people who, for who they are, which is their fellow travelers on this lonely rock you know, flying in space, right? Trying to make the most of their lives. Then if they have troubles that your business can address that will make their life easier, more enjoyable and happier, then they're going to want to do business with you. And if they know that you actually care about helping them realize their dreams or eliminating their problems, escaping the hells of life that that your product or service addresses, then not only will they want to pay you whatever you require, but they're going to want to tell other people about you and they're going to help grow your business for you. So seeing people for who they truly are, which is fellow humans just trying to make it in this world, 
and then doing whatever you can to help them along in your way that's valuable to them, that's all it takes. If you can do that, I think you're going to see a dramatic increase in your business just by shifting that. Now, even if you weren't doing it consciously, if unconsciously you're seeing people's money bags and then you said, oh, wait, what Ryan and Trim been talking about make a lot of sense. And you make that shift, I guarantee you things will start going better. It may not seem like it's um, immediate. That's the cost I threw out there is that it takes time for these principles to take effect, but they are long-term things that will benefit you. So, and some things are quick. You will see some quick response to allowing people to communicate better with you, talk to you, talk with your team. Um, those things can usually produce a quick result, but the long-term relationships and the benefit of that, that you're not going to see today or tomorrow, but you will see that over time. And we can talk about that and, you know, for, in all of our different businesses we've done because we focus on the relationship and providing that value that Ryan talked about to other people that we see them as humans. They've got problems, concerns, worries. They've got families just like we do. And so when we see them as other people that we want to help and serve, then the way we treat them, the way that we interact with them is much, much better. And that creates a much longer term business than if we just see them as transactional pieces of paper or money that we're going to take advantage of just to, to grow our own personal wealth or income. So that, that's really the whole focus of this episode is how you see contacts in your database truly affects how you interact with them, how you treat them, how you serve them. And if you see them the right way, it's not going to solve all your problems. We're not going to say that all you need to do is see people the right way. And now you don't have to do any marketing sales to take care of themselves. That's not, that's what those are all principles that need to be applied to your business. But this is a core philosophical foundation of if you see people the right way, then your actions and your interactions will make your business more valuable for a long-term growth business versus a pump and dump business. Exactly. Okay. Well, this is only episode three. We're excited for the rest of them because they're going to get more and more into rubber hits the road on many things. A lot of these foundational philosophical ones were at the beginning. If you haven't already, text LEARN to 949-835-5300. Again, that's 949-835-5300. Text the word LEARN to that and we'll give you a copy electronically of the book as well as an audio version so in you, case in case you don't know how to spell learn l-e-a-r-n <laughs> maybe you didn't hear what ryan was saying maybe it sounded like a different word so text the word learn to that number and uh, we'll send you a copy of the pdf as well as the audio version of the book the messaging connection Till next time this is ryan this is trent thanks so much